Amen. Amen. I love that last song that the, the band sang this morning. Um, when death was arrested and my life began. That's a great song to tie in with the teaching series that I'm starting today, which I've called From Death to Life. From Death to Life. And what I want to do over the next six Sundays is I want to take a a chapter a week and I want us to look at the New Testament book of Ephesians and to see what that says to us here today. As I've mentioned before, um, a couple of, uh, whatever, six weeks or so ago, uh, Jill and I actually moved house. We, We downsized from a big house we didn't really need anymore to a house that's far more suitable for us right now. And uh, it was challenging to downsize because we had lived in our home for 28 years. Now, in 28 years, you accumulate a lot of stuff, right? A lot of stuff. And when you've got a house on three levels because there's a finished basement that's unused now but totally available for stuff, you, you actually accumulate an incredible amount. And so thinning out everything and deciding what to let go was a, was a humongous challenge. And for me, one of the areas of challenge was my books. So I had bookshelf after bookshelf after bookshelf, bookcase with, with, with hundreds and hundreds of books. And I realized I couldn't take all these with me. And that was tough. I had to be realistic. So my study books I was going to take. Some of those study books I've had since I was a teenager. Some of those books were old books when I bought them secondhand as a teenager. Some of those books are probably 100 years old. So I wasn't, they weren't going anywhere. I kept all my study books, but every other book I had to look at realistically and ask myself this question. Am I going to read it again? And hundreds of books were very reluctantly passed on to our good friends at Savers across the street here. (laughs) And hopefully somebody else will find some benefit from them. But it was hard. The question was, will I read it again? You see this book? I've read this book again. And again, and again, and again. And if within its pages there is one of the 66 books that I've read more than any others, I would probably say it is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians, I could quote great chunks of it to you from the King James Version, of course. I could quote great chunks to you from Ephesians by heart because I know it, I'm so familiar with it, and and absolutely love it. And that's one of the reasons why I want to come to it today and over the next few weeks. It is an incredible book. The first three chapters are an amazing description of what God has accomplished, what he is accomplishing, and what he will yet accomplish through Christ and his church. And then the second half of the book is full of practical encouragements to how we can fulfill God's great purposes through Jesus. I'm going to encourage you this week to read Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. 
I'm going to encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 1. And don't kind of, you know, sit down with it tonight, pull it up on your phone, read through and say, did my homework, I'm good. No, no, read it and think about it. And maybe leave it a day or two and read it again. Because there is so much truth there that you won't get it all in one reading. It was written by the Apostle Paul when he was um, in prison, actually, towards the end of his life in Rome. And he had been to Ephesus on a couple of occasions during his missionary journeys. And at one time, he'd stayed in Ephesus for more than two years. It was actually the longest he stayed in any single place. And he had seen the establishing of a good and strong church there. Ephesus was a bustling center of commerce in what we know as Turkey nowadays. It was also a center of idolatry. One of the most prominent buildings in the city was the temple to the goddess Diana. Inside there was a statue of Diana which legend said had actually descended direct from heaven. So the city of Ephesus was dominated by idol worship and also in that temple with immorality as well. So it was, a, it was not the best of cities by any stretch of the imagination. And Paul was so successful preaching in Ephesus that there were people who, who became afraid that actually so many people were now coming to follow Christ that he was going to put Diana out of business. And they ran him out of town in fear for his life. And so Paul writes this letter some years later to these believers in a city where he'd seen a lot of success as a preacher of the gospel, where there were good, faithful believers. And he writes about how God is creating a new society through Jesus that stands as a bright contrast to the dull background of this world. Because, I want you to get a hold of this, for God's glory and for man's eternal good, the church is God's new society. Okay, now most of you will know I've said nothing whatever about election, politics, or whatever, right? And, and I don't. That's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to preach the good news and preach the word. That's what I'm meant to be doing. But I'm going to tell you this. Come Tuesday or Wednesday or Lord knows when, some people are going to be happy with what happened in this country and some people are going to be unhappy with what's happened in this country. But I will tell you this, neither Donald Trump nor Joe Biden are the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Neither of them can implement the change that our nation really needs. God intends the church, that is, you and I, to be his new society, to live, to show, and to lead in a better way. That is God's way. We're the people that God wants to turn around our world. And Paul writes to the Ephesian believers, and he tells the Ephesian, reminds the Ephesian believers of how blessed they are and why they're so blessed. And I, my prayer today is that as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, that we will be reminded how blessed we are 
and why we're so blessed. Because God wants us as blessed people to bring hope and light to the world around us. So Ephesians 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's a great opener. He says, bless God. God is the one who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every single, oh, spiritual. I can add my own words. No, you're not meant to do that, right? Every single spiritual blessing in Christ. You know, this is bigger than I'm a person who goes to church. It's more than I'm somebody who's got faith. It's more than I'm a believer in Jesus. This verse is way more than that. It's, it's like in the same week, we won the lottery in every single state, Publishers Clearing House, and the Mets won the World Series. I just, think, I just go for the World Series. But anyway, uh, no, but it's like, Folks, we've hit the jackpot through Jesus. That's what the Bible's telling us here. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. I like the way the message paraphrases that. The message puts it this way. It says, how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Isn't that great? Physically, you're sitting in a warehouse in Medford. But spiritually in Jesus, we are sitting in the high places of blessing. Because that's where Christ has brought us to. And these verses remind us who we are and whose we are. They celebrate the reality of being born again. I hesitated using that phrase this morning. In fact, I did something that some of our team warned me a few months ago I shouldn't do. I looked into the Urban Dictionary to see what it said, to see what it said about born again. And it said bad things about born again. Because the tragedy is there are a lot of Christians who for years have used that term, but they haven't given the best representation of the Lord Jesus. But it is a Bible phrase. Jesus used it. John's Gospel, chapter 3. Jesus talked about being born again. And that is what happened when death is arrested. And my life began. Born again. It is a Bible phrase. And Ephesians 1 reminds us of the incredible blessing of the new birth. And there are three great truths here in chapter 1. Number one, God chose us, verse 4. He chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. Secondly, God redeemed us, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. And then thirdly, it tells us God will keep us, Verses 13 and 14, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked 
in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God chose us. God has redeemed us. God will keep us. If life's been beating you up a bit this past week, I want to remind you this morning who you are and how special you are. Chosen, redeemed, kept by God's power. Chosen, redeemed, kept by God's power. The Father chose us. Let's take a look at verse 4 again. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. It's kind of mind-boggling to me to realize that God chose us before the world began. That God looked down through time and God had plans for you and for me before there was anything. That for all the billions of people who have walked this earth and do walk this earth, God not only knows you, but God chose you. Now, now the cynic looks at that and says, that's insane. How can God do that? I'll give you a clue. He's God. Right? The Bible says the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. So how can God know everybody? God knew me before I was born. Listen, I I have a problem sometimes with uh, remembering people, which is not a helpful trait for a pastor. But, but I have a problem. And, and then, of course, nowadays everybody wears masks. So it's, it's almost like it takes me back to my childhood with the Lone Ranger and, you know, his mask and every episode finished with, with who was that man. And, you, you know, I, I spend half my life nowadays thinking who was that. I had an extended conversation with a lady in Sam's Club a few weeks ago, and I have no idea who she was. I really don't. If that was you who was here today, I'm just sorry. Right? But when you got kind of two-thirds of your face covered already, and I'm trying to get a clue in the conversation um, from who you are, and no, I don't know. But God not only knows every one of us, He knew us before the world began and he chose that we should be his. So you and I are part of the family of God today and it wasn't just a chance thing. It was a planned thing. It's not just that one day somebody spoke to me about Christ or Or I heard a preacher explain God's plan of salvation and I decided I want to be a follower of Jesus. Sure, that that, that happened, but, but it's not just all about that. It's about before you and I were born that God planned that he wanted us to be his. In, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 27, it says this, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God just chose us as ordinary people and he wanted us to be his. Verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 1. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. 
Look at the next bit. What pleasure he took in planning this. God took pleasure in planning how you would become part of his family. I've got some friends who, who uh, had a, a adopted children and they, when the time came to explain to the children that they had been adopted, I, I loved the way that they, they, they put it and they put it something like this. You know, in most families, people will have a baby and they have the baby that they have. But you're part of our family because we chose you. I like that. Because the Bible talks about us as being adopted into God's family. Because God chose us. So why are you sitting here or where you are right now uh, watching this? Why are you like sitting there as somebody who knows God, is a child of God? Because God decided before the world began that you would be his. We sit in a very special place this morning. Chosen by God. So God chose us. Jesus told his disciples in John 15 and verse 16. He said, you didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you. And I put you in the world to bear fruit. Fruit that won't spoil. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. Meanwhile, we've got our hands full, continually thanking God for you, our friends, so loved by God. Listen to this bit. God picked you out as his from the very start. Think of it, included in God's original plan of salvation. Isn't that fantastic? God chose you from the start. Most of you heard me tell the story. Some of you heard me tell it a thousand times, but thanks for looking interested. Uh, so, so, but, but my, it was my 18th birthday when I went to the open day of the college that I was going to become a student at that fall. And uh, when I went to the open day, there was a service that the students were participating in. I'm sitting there in the congregation, and, and one of the students, this girl, gets up, and she's participating in the service on the stage at the front there. And I looked at her and thought, she looks nice. I was 18 years old. I was interested in theology, but I was interested in other things too. So, so I thought, she looks nice. And I went home and, and my friend said to me the next day, he said, so how was the college? I said, there's a beautiful girl there. And, uh, and he said, uh, is she still going to be there when you go back? I said, I'm praying. And, and when I went into the college, that, when I went into the college, that that fall as she was there. And a year later, she became my wife. And, and, uh, now, she did not immediately choose me, apparently. In fact, she obviously didn't know me because she didn't like me at first. Uh, but, <laughs> but I, you know, I saw her and thought, wow, she looks nice. And of course, she was and is. God looked through time and said, I want him. I want her. And that, folks, is why we are in the family of God today. How blessed are we? How blessed are we? Blessed with every spiritual blessing chosen by God. The second thing it says here in Ephesians chapter 1 
is it speaks about the fact not only did the Father choose us, but the Son has redeemed us. Verse 7, Ephesians 1 verse 7. So it it says there, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In him we have forgiveness of sins. Here is God's goodness to us in the present. In the past, before the world began, he chose us. In the present, it says we have redemption through his blood. When we first moved to Long Island in 1991, um, so we moved over and uh, we had to set up a, a home and we had to get everything that we needed. And amongst other things, we needed a car. Um, now, we actually didn't have the money to buy a car And uh, we didn't have any credit in this country, so nobody would give us a loan to buy a car. So we couldn't get started, and it was difficult to know where to go. And there was a guy who was in our church then who was a really good mechanic, and he worked for Mitsubishi in the city. And uh, he he came to me and said, if you could just be patient, um, I've got a car for you. So I said, what's it going to cost? And he told me it was going to be $1,300. It was a Mitsubishi Galant. It was a few years old. And I said, what's the deal? He said, well, when people bring a car in for repairs, part of what they sign is if they don't come and pick it up after such and such period of time, then actually the car is ours. So he said, there's a lien on the car. And actually, he said, I've got it all fixed up and everything ready. All you've got to do is pay off the lien. So I paid the lien, and for $1,300, I got a car that was worth thousands of dollars. It's a great deal, right? Yeah, sadly he moved. But anyway, there's... uh, I had to pay off what was owed. God wanted us to be his, but somebody had to pay off what was owed. Redeem us. And that's what Christ did when he died for us. The son paid the price for us. 1 Peter 1 and verse 18 reminds us it cost God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished, sacrificial lamb. And this was no afterthought. Even though it was, has only lately at the end of the ages become public knowledge, God always knew he was going to do this for you. Blessed with every spiritual blessing, we are chosen, we are redeemed. Paul says to the Romans chapter 5 and verse 7, we can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, but God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. Right? Good. I'm still training you, aren't I? Okay, that's, that's a good verse that you've spent way too many Sundays on your sofa. Um, so, no, but that's... That's like an amen moment if ever there was one, isn't it? God did it for us while we were of no use. How blessed are we? How blessed are we? We were of no use to him, 
whatever. Christ died for us. In him, it says, we have redemption. We have redemption. You know, there are some things we cannot afford to leave to chance, right? When I, when I flew to Kathmandu a couple of years ago, um, apart from the fact I had never been there before, I had no idea what it was going to be like, um, I didn't go to Kennedy and kind of uh, go to the gate I thought it was, get on a plane and hoped it was, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like I'm checking, double checking and making sure and everything's worked out. Uh, and once I hear the pilot say, welcome on board, flight, whatever it is to Kathmandu, Nepal, it's like, oh, okay, I'm good, I'm in the right place. Some things you can't leave to chance. You need to know you have, have salvation. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. It is not humility to say, I hope I'll get to heaven. At worst, it's a very dangerous place to be living in. I don't have to hope I'll go to heaven. I know I'll go to heaven. Right? So how do I know I go to heaven? Because in him, I have redemption. Not I hope to be redeemed. Not even I will be redeemed. In him, I have redemption. The forgiveness of my sin. Now, now, you know, there are always folks who want to argue, oh, what if you do this and what if you do that and what if you do the other? And it's like, you know what? I don't want to live with all the what-ifs you're trying to throw at me. It's like, don't rain on my parade. In him, I have redemption, the forgiveness of my sin. Leave me alone. Right? I mean, we are, we are, we're such blessed people this morning. Blessed people. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. So the Father chose us. The Son redeemed us. And then Paul says here that the Spirit keeps us. The whole of the Trinity at work on our behalf. The, the, the Holy Spirit keeps us. Every spiritual blessing extends into the future too. Uh, let's look back at verse 13, 14 again. It's in Christ that you once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered. That should be a song. It would suit Stevie Wonder. Anyway, but, but he says, here's where you are. Signed, sealed, delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment on what's coming. A reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us. A praising and glorious life. Chosen, God's blessing in the past. Redeemed, God's blessing today. Sealed, God's blessing for the future. Talks about the Holy Spirit being the seal, the sign within you that you are His. Romans 8, 16. I, I, I love this statement. It says, God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is and we know who we are, Father and children. 
We know who He is, and we know who we are because God's Spirit touches our spirit, and He confirms that for us. The strongest statement we have affirming we belong to God is the voice of the Holy Spirit within us, the presence of the Holy Spirit who reminds us we're His, and nothing can ever change that. We'll get everything God planned for us in the future. Not because we can hold on to it and prove ourselves worthy of it, but because the Holy Spirit will keep us until that day when we see Jesus. So you and I today, here we are. Here's what Ephesians 1 tells us. It says we are blessed with every spiritual blessing because the Father chose us, the Son redeemed us, and the Holy Spirit keeps us. Let that be an encouragement to every one of you who is a believer in Christ and a follower of Jesus today. Read Ephesians 1 for yourself again. Remind yourself of where you stand in Christ and of who you are in Christ. But let me take a moment here and talk to those of you who perhaps don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and suggest to you that maybe you are watching and listening right now because the Father chose you and He's actually drawing you this Sunday morning. The great English preacher of, of, of the last century, Charles Spurgeon, said this. He, he asked, why would, why would you not love the God of love and delight in Him who is so kind to you? Why would you not love the God of love? And if you've never fully committed your life to Jesus, I want to invite you as we draw towards a close this morning to open your heart and say, Lord, thank you for dying to pay for my redemption. I recognize you as my Lord and my Savior. And make today the day you commit your life to Jesus Christ. We're going to pray together, and as we pray, I'm going to invite you to do just that. Let's pray. If you're here with us this morning, watching us from wherever you might be, but you don't really have a personal relationship with Jesus, I want to tell you, you're not participating in a church service on Sunday morning by chance. Most of your friends might not be doing this kind of thing but you're here because God brought you to this point. Because God wants you to be His. And your response is what seals the deal. The response that says, Lord, thank you for dying for me. I receive you as my Savior. I'm going to pray just now, and if you want to commit your life to Christ, then I want to invite you just to say this prayer. You don't have to say it out loud could come just from your heart to God. But in a moment just now, you can seal the deal of becoming a child of God. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for giving your life for me. Today I ask you, Lord, come into my life and be my Savior. Forgive me, Lord, for all the stuff that 
hasn't pleased you in my life thus far. Forgive me for all my sin. And Lord, make me your child today, I pray. I recognize you as my Lord, my Savior. And I ask you to give me the gift of eternal life you promised. Thank you for hearing my prayer. 